Welcome to OCD Whisperer Podcast. This is your host, Christina Orlova. Here we will talk about all things OCD. For more information and to contact me with questions, you can go to www.coreresults.com. That's K-O-R results.com. Welcome to OCD Whisperer Show. Today with me, I have Christina Inabi, who is a licensed clinical mental health counselor with an online private practice specializing in OCD, anxiety, BFRBs, and perfectionism. She's part of the board of directors for OCD New Hampshire and is passionate about serving her community and educating the public on real OCD. Christina is a therapist with lived experience and recently shared on her Instagram account her journey of becoming diagnosed with OCD just this past year. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's so nice to meet another Christina, another (laughs) (laughs) therapist in this space. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I, you know, reached out to you partially really because I saw that um, as one of your uh, pinned posts. Um, And frankly, I resonate because, you know, I did not know it was OCD until much later in my life. In my mid thirties, late thirties is really when it um, kind of came, came together and realizing Mm -hmm. this is what's going on. So um, I really would love to spend a little time hearing from you about what it is like being diagnosed later in life. So I was so nervous to share my story because I don't know if this is your experience, but a lot of therapists are taught in school and through um, their work, getting their license that you don't self-disclose. That's like a, a common rule that you don't talk about yourself and you're basically a blank slate. So there was a lot of fear mongering for me. And when I started my Instagram account, I didn't know how much to share. I didn't know how much I wanted to talk about myself. So um, yeah, it was it was really nerve wracking to be that vulnerable to share about that experience and also to give a lot of like personal examples and history. So luckily, it's been well received. Um, but that was a risk, right? You know, you put yourself on social media, you never know what kind of feedback you're going to get. So luckily, everybody's been super kind um, and saying that they also relate to getting diagnosed later in life. And I'm seeing that so much just in um, my work with clients as well. Um, so yeah, um, so how that started, um, I mean, I've had anxiety my whole life. Um And that was like some genetic biological stuff, but also some past trauma. And so when I was an adolescent, I had a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, um, didn't have anybody I could talk to at the time, no resources. So for majority of my life, I was dealing with that on my own. And that's what led me to become a therapist in the first place. I think a lot of therapists have similar experiences where they um, they come to this work for their own from their own personal experiences and maybe like trying to heal or work through old versions of themselves. That was definitely the case for me. Um, and when I started my private practice, I. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to specialize in. My background was in eating disorders, generalized anxiety, um, interestingly enough, psychosis. Mm. (laughs) So I was like, I don't really want to 
do a lot of psychosis or eating disorders in private practice. So what do I know? Well, I know anxiety. So that was what I specialized in. Um, but then in 2021, I believe it was during the pandemic. So yeah, 2021, I attended a training here in New Hampshire from um, OCD New Hampshire, and it was about OCD. I was like, well, I don't know too much about it, um, but I'll go to the event since it's local and I'll get to network and meet people. So I attended that event and it was um it was a training for clinicians and it was basically just like a generalized OCD 101. And after that training, I was just like, oh my God, this resonates. This is what I want to do. Like I get this, this treatment modality. I I get this disorder. I get the like everything about it. Like, this is so interesting. This is what I want to do. So I started specializing it in um after that training. Like, this is what I'm devoting my my attention to. And as I started learning more about it, I started working with clients on it. A lot of what the clients were sharing with me were things that I had experienced or were experiencing. Like, oh, that's interesting. I do that too. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, you struggle with that? So do I. It's like, because I think for a lot of people not educated or um, have personal experience with OCD, they look at it from that one dimensional point of view of it's just about germs. It's just about cleanliness. It's just about orderliness and perfectionism. Right. So I had those same stereotypes until I was educated. And then until I started really educating myself and to see all the nuances and then I was being able, I was able to like put the puzzle pieces together and connect all the dots I was like, holy shit, I think I have OCD. <laughs> this thing I was specializing in didn't even think that I could possibly have. I think I might have. Um, so I connected with a colleague. She did a very inf- like informal diagnosis. But then um, and then afterward, I met with a ERP therapist and started doing my own work. And it was just like, oh, my God, this makes so much sense. And um, through you know, my, my post and my story, I talked about reflecting back on my past and my childhood and my adolescence. I could see so much of it laid out, but until someone mentioned OCD or until I learned about it, I never would have thought that I was a person with OCD because I didn't fit what I thought, you know, the profile of OCD was. So, Yeah, it was just like a big light bulb moment. But that was also what made sharing that really vulnerable in my space on my count because, you know, it it feeds into that whole self-doubt, the imposter syndrome, the, the, um, the, just the questioning of, well, are people going to take me seriously because I'm a clinician with OCD and, and, I have lived experience. Like, um, how could I not have known that I had OCD? Well, we talk about how OCD is called the doubt disorder. So how could I, being somebody who doubts and questions literally everything, how could I have self-diagnosed, you know? How could I have said, oh, yeah, I have OCD? When even to this day, sometimes I'm like, do I really have OCD? <laughs> right. So, yeah, it was um, 
it it was very empowering to get that diagnosis and very validating, but also really scary because it meant I had to look at things a lot differently than I had in the past. And I had to treat things differently than I did when I was just treating generalized anxiety or depression. Um, but I think talking to other clinicians with lived experience has been really helpful. And the more I talk about it, the less stigma, self-stigma I have, and the more that I can connect with people. And um, yeah, I'm just so glad that I opened up and talked about it and I'm learning a lot about myself um, in doing that. So yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all that. I mean, there's, there's a lot in there and, and I definitely will say, you, you know, when I came across your page, I, I 100% resonated. And I, <clears throat> I think anybody listening now, this is just such a common thing I've heard in my, in my, in my own practice and with working with, you know, pretty much like 95% of my practice is all OCD. So <clears throat> that's virtually like all I treat in all different yeah. comorbidities and, and different, you know, subtypes, et cetera. But that's what I hear time and time again is there are times when it is obvious, but there's also so many times when it's not. And because of what's still, again, like I'm saying, we're here, we are in 2023 and still, um, you know, the, the, like you said, the profile of OCD we know is, you know, keeping things clean or uh, lining things up and not re recognizing so many other newest ways OCD can show up or not realizing like there's mental rituals that you can do and or there's a certain way you might be thinking about things that's not quite kind of in, in the normative, more adaptive, healthy way. Um, and then, you know, you just don't understand that or you're having an you know, intense amount of guilt or shame or anxiety and going, well, why is this not resolving? And, but I don't think it's for any big reason. Maybe I'm just overthinking this and I just need to think more about it to fix it. Right. And you just don't realize that that's actually all part of the compulsion. Right. Well, it's also what also was really frustrating in my personal experience and something I think a lot of people also can resonate with is I was very invalidated in, um, like other people telling me I didn't have OCD or other people with their judgments of what OCD is. So like um, one thing that I've been open about on my account as well, that's taken me a really long time is that, um, that I have body focused repetitive behaviors and I skin pick. And that was something that I've had since childhood and was always a big source of shame for me. And I opened up about it to, um, to someone very close to me at, at the time. And I was like, you know, I've read about this and I think it might be like a type of OCD, maybe not OCD, but it's like, I think it's related. And this person was like, that's not OCD. No, no, it's not. That's not a thing. I was like, oh, okay. Well, that immediately shuts me down and doesn't want, like, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. Um, so, and then I've had, you know, family members use OCD as an adjective before, you know, just really like hurtful things. And I'm sure obviously are not intentional are not intended to be hurtful, but still make you want to like hide away in a box and never talk about it or share your experiences. So that doesn't help either mm -hmm. <laughs> when other mm -hmm. people have a, uh, 
misconceptions about OCD or just like mental illness in general, you know? Well, yeah. And like you said, a, a lot of it, I think it's a journey, right? When you, you, once you do finally can learn whatever that piece of your own puzzle is, and then the rest of it mm-hmm. is just a discovery process. Um, and I think there mm-hmm. is a difference, especially when you're, you get diagnosed or you, you, you figure this out later in life, because suddenly you're in this position where you're like, wait a minute, I'm not in that category. Like, you know, people talk about research from, you know, being 14 or in your twenties, it's like, no, no, this is happening to me in my thirties, like for the first time where I'm uncovering this big piece and suddenly I'm going backwards and connecting the dots and stuff is starting to make sense. And, and then new things are emerging and you're like, whoa. So it's, it's a, it's a little bit of a different ride in that way, because in many ways, you know, you think you're kind of established as a person, as a personality, who you think you are. And then suddenly you kind of open up this whole other part. And in many ways, they're kind of redefining all of that. Right. Or what, what you thought were your coping skills before you realized they're just compulsions. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, oh, exactly. Yeah. After it changed all of this up. Exactly. Exactly. I get rid of all my safety blankets. <laughs> um, let me ask you a question because I wonder if this is something that, that has ever happened for you, but it's considering that you've got kind of got, got this clarity later in life. Were there any things in your before that that happened where you were, um, you know, some people talk about like, I've burned some friendships or I've lost some other things and I didn't know. And then, you know, once you get this clarity, you look back, you're like, oh, okay, right. I see it now where I could have done things differently or maybe have, would have been able to, yeah, just just handle situations in a better way. But, you know, as we all have to be loving and self-forgiving and compassionate and kind to say, listen, I did the best I could with what I had. And, you know, such is life. Like, okay, we've got to, you know, p- pick up a little bit and tend to ourselves and move on. But yeah, did you have any of that? Oh, 100%. I mean, the first thing that came to mind was relationships. And part of that is the complexity of like dual diagnosis, because I've had trauma. I have anxiety. I've had depression. I've had um, abandonment, rejection. Like I've had all of these things happen. So in relationships, uh, especially um, leading up to being diagnosed, they were always insecure attachment. Like we talk like attachment styles, right? Mm-hmm. Um which is different than OCD, but definitely presented as an insecure attachment where I needed so much reassurance all the time where I was like probably pushing people away because of it. Um, And always fearing rejection. I held myself back so much and didn't take on opportunities because I was scared. So I don't like to call that self-sabotage because I don't think I have the self-awareness to know that I was doing that, but it was more just fear and probably the OCD as well, just feeding into self-doubt. So yeah, so many, so many things looking back, but you know, I can only look at that with some grace and self-compassion because you don't know what you don't know. And I didn't know that that was what was going on at the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, 
Well, with that, I, I do want to lead into my next question, which is, you know, in your account, I did notice that there are some posts that were very much e, um, ERP exposure response prevention forward. Um, mm-hmm. There were some posts about, you know, ICBT and friends-based CBT forward and mm-hmm. probably sprinkles of acceptance, commitment, therapy, and mindfulness. So yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, yeah, I use all of those myself in, in treatment, um, but it was, it was refreshing to see it. And so I just wanted to know if you can talk a little bit about, you know, for yourself and your practice. Um, yeah. When do you maybe decide or how do you decide in terms of what treatment approach you may use with a client or do you just let them choose um, mm-hmm. kind of, yeah. How do you handle that? So I, I love that you're bringing up ICBT because I think there's a lot of conflicting feelings about it, or at least like conflicting ideas about it. And so I know you, you've talked about it and you've talked about it on your podcast too. And um, for myself, it's something I'm newly learning. It was brought to my attention by a colleague, another OCD specialist. And as far as I know, she and I are the only ICBT people in, at least in this area. I could be wrong, but I don't know if many OCD specialists around here doing ICBT um, because not a lot of people know about it or there's not enough data to back it up or make it seem as credible as ERP. Um, there's a lot of mixed, like I said, mixed feelings about it. So I just wanted to discover it for myself. So I did my own research. I did some trainings and some supervisions, and I'm still learning about it, as I said. Definitely don't know as much about it um, as ERP. However, for me personally, it resonates. I really like the more approachable aspect of it where you are not required to do exposures in the traditional sense of mm-hmm. exposures. I think anything and everything could be considered an exposure. And I think a lot of us are doing it in our daily lives without even recognizing <laughs> exposures. Um, but I, I, what I love is to be able to offer clients options. I don't think it's always helpful to say there's only one way to treat OCD or there's only one way to do a certain thing because that feels very limiting. And I have heard from people on Instagram, for example, who have said that they've had really poor experiences with ERP. Now, obviously, I don't know anything about their story or who they worked with or what they did, um, but that can be really disheartening to feel like that's my only option and I had such a bad experience and I have to try it again. You know, so it's helpful to give our clients as many options as possible and for them to make an informed decision. So I really do try to leave it up to the client as much as I can because I want them to feel like they have autonomy over their treatment. Um, So in the beginning, you know, it's a lot of education around what is ERP, what's ICBT, what I think may be helpful for you based off of what you're presenting and your personality and, you know, what you're telling me. So it's very individualized. Uh, But I do have some clients who were trying a hybrid approach, which is interesting. 
So we're doing ICBT as it is structured and formatted, but we're introducing some exposures from primarily like um, like avoidance. So where they're using mental or physical avoidance or you know avoidance in their lives, like those are the types of things that we're trying to do some exposures around. So I'm trying to see if it's possible to do that. Um, I think the the beauty of any kind of treatment and one-on-one therapy is that you really get to customize it to the client. And I don't think it's always helpful to be super strict and regimented and st- structured in therapy. Um, at least that's my personal opinion on it. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, I'd say that I've heard a lot of uh, clinicians say that they're not purists, so they're not mm. going to be saying things like, oh, I only uh, ERP or only ACT or only, um, uh, however, also in, um, I'm sure you know the ICBT Facebook group for clinicians with Frederick Ardema. So yeah. um, I know that certainly I've heard that many times before that, um, and he himself has said it, which I do have to say, it took me a minute, but I, I do now kind of wrap my brain around this and understand. But he said, you know, in the States, because this is so new and, and ERP has been such a kind of first line of treatment that it's harder for people here to conceptualize things differently mm-hmm. or to kind of expand um, mm-hmm. that there, there can be options. And so one of those expansions is recognizing that if and when you do ICBT well, um, you really don't need to do ERP. It's not like you have to. And then if you do do ERP, uh, it's going to be seen differently where it's not like you're exposing per se and doing response prevention. It's more about let's be in front of the thing that's difficult for you. But now mm-hmm. let's look at how is it that you are getting absorbed into your OCD, um, really pathological doubt, right? How mm-hmm. you're getting absorbed into this obsessive story and leaving reality before you, as you know it. And how can we actually mm-hmm. come back to reality? I mean, anybody listening right now, by the way, I understand what I just said, quite completely right. bring a thousand and one questions and you can revert to some older episodes about um, ICBT specifically. The point I'm trying to make is they'll say, you know, if you do, like, you don't need to do ERP period. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you do do ERP, it's more about learning how to identify the obsessive doubt and resolve that doubt Mm -hmm. on the front end so that then Mm -hmm. you can literally just engage with whatever the activity, person, place, thing in a normal non-OCD fashion, which is what we want for everybody. Right. Yeah. I do think that there will be more of a shift toward ICBT in the future as people are... um, understanding what it is and getting that conceptualized pieces you're saying, but like also there's a lot of work that needs to be done because I'm sure, you know, like the teaching manuals and the, the translations aren't always the best. (laughs) So I know that there's a community of clinicians who are working really hard to make it more digestible for people. But, um, but yeah, I just, I don't think it's, it's helpful to be super dogmatic in, in one way or the other. I think it's, it's just being open-minded, trying things, seeing what works for you, what doesn't work for you. You know, I think the beauty, at least with ICBT is you're not gonna do more harm than good, but mm-hmm. I have heard like people getting harmed from ERP. And again, whether that was 
on the part of the clinician or the exposure or what have you, I don't know, but there's no harm in trying ICBT. So why not try it? Yeah. Um, and I guess for you, you know, with somebody as a, as a therapist with obviously lived experience and this is your specialty and you've got diagnosed later in life and now putting it all, everything together, do you find that in applying this therapy modality for yourself, is it is it helping in terms of how you show up for your clients or even in your own life? I think it it simplifies the process a lot more for me. I, I, I resonate a lot with the cognitive approach versus like the behavioral approach, which is ERP. Um, especially because like I have my background for a lot, a lot of people with who specialize in anxiety, their backgrounds, like cognitive behavior therapy. So we get that kind of model. And so in, Inference cognitive behavior therapy is different, but it definitely has similar principles. So it 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 resonated with me. Um, I like both. I like ICVT and I like ERP. I you know I can't say I like one better than the other. I like them both. It, it just depends on the person. And for me, I really got to check that narrative. That I think that is a big driving force for me personally is the narrative. And I've talked about this on my account is the vulnerable self of who OCD says you are versus who you really are. And that module resonated with me so hard. And I think that's one that I always come back to for myself. So yeah, I think I, I, I'm i always doing exposures. Like I said, this, even this podcast is an exposure and my response prevention is I'm not going to listen to it over and over and over again. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's my homework. Um, but also, you know, I think using the ICBT principles and just showing up and as like, you know, what I have to say is valuable and I know my real self and if I'm sharing my perspective, I'm not like going to hopefully hurt people in in doing so. And like, you know, just challenging the narrative. And um, yeah, so I think it like both can work together. And they have for me, I just have to be really intentional with, with it, you know. And also I work with my own therapist, so that helps. She doesn't do ICBT. She she just does ERP. But, um, but, you know. I, I know the tools. <laughs> I just yeah, to totally. Exactly. No, I agree with you. I, uh, frankly, I, I do. I love both modalities. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's tremendous value in all of it. Um, and mm-hmm. like you said, I think it's exactly right. It's honing in on the person and the individual and then kind of seeing what they need and when and how. And, you know, and sometimes they might need more intensive treatment and what would that look like? Um, mm-hmm. You know, but in terms of modalities, yeah, similarly, like you said, seeing the presentation, the, the personality, the, I mean, having a, you know, good enough assessment and, and then in your own personal life, exactly right. I think there's times that I'll be honest, recently at the virtual OCD conference, I, for whatever reason, um, it became a, there was a trigger and I started to get a little bit lost and, um, you know, and I was doing a, a, tra- a presentation, two different talks. And I think one of them, you know, like in the IC from the ICBT lens, I was able to recognize, like you said, where OCD wanted to start to pull me into uh, this whole other story about how, um, you know, I'm a terrible presenter. I don't know any of my stuff. I'm failing. I'm doing it wrong. Everybody's going to hate me. 
right? And being able to realize like, wait a minute, that is not what's happening right now. Let's, let's stop that. And then in many ways, kind of because of having ERP conceptualization is being able to say, let's just stay with that feeling as it's still there. It's not resolved yet, but I don't have to create any more stories about it and just let it, let it be and kind of ride. And, you know, within about a day and a half, everything really completely resolved and moving on with life. But I think that's, that's the piece of it. It's like, I think as specialists and even specialists with lived experience, you know, it doesn't mean, I think, I I think people sometimes think that they're going to get all this different training and like, poof, magically everything will be Mm. gone. But it's like, well, no, triggers still exist. You're still living a real Mm -hmm. life with things that are happening. And, you know, it's just around different ways, how you can resolve those things. Well, that's the thing, like OCD can't be cured, but you can be in recovery in the sense that, you know, the disorder piece of it is no longer existent, but that takes consistent work where now these tools are part of your lifestyle. Like, you know, you're you're using them daily because, yeah, you can't avoid, well, hopefully you're not avo- trying to avoid triggers because stressors are inevitable. They're, they're always out there. So it's like, how do you want to respond and react to them? So, yeah, I, I would say for me in my stage of life right now, um, definitely like a month or so ago, I OCD was in full effect, especially with my account, my Instagram account. It's like a blessing and a curse for my OCD. <laughs> Because on the one hand, I'm trying not to use it for reassurance, right? The compulsion. But I like, it's like where my OCD likes to live a lot of the time. So I got to work very hard on that. So, and and symptoms ebb and flow all the time. So it's, you know, you got to always check in with yourself, have the support system, go to therapy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, I don't know. Would you, do you think that, ERP or ICBT are ever things that people should be doing on their own or could do on their own? Or do you think it takes like working with a therapist at least first, then do it on your own? You know, I found that when when things are more mild in the mm-hmm. OCD severity scale, right? Um, that's when folks can like read a read a book and kind of follow the the protocol there, or they might need mm-hmm. literally like a, a few sessions and I've had some people show up like that where their OCD is super mild, but they want to just understand and it doesn't take many sessions and we move on and that's it. Uh, mm-hmm. But when things are more moderate and up and higher from there, moderate, severe, or they're extremely severe, that's when you really do need um, somebody else to help break down the concepts and, and walk you and facilitate the process. Um, yeah. You know, so yeah. that that's kind of what I've seen just through through practice. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure like you probably get on your account all the time, like at, people asking questions, how do I do this? How do I apply this to my life? It's like, well, I'm giving you the, the information, but really like, I can't walk you through it. This is where having your own therapist is helpful. And so this is like yeah. the, the, again, the tough part of having an Instagram account where you're providing free resources, tools, tips, but it's not therapy. Well, exactly. Well, it's just like anybody, right? You can always pick up a book and read it, but then, you know, you're going to have questions and you may Mm -hmm. not understand, well, what does this really mean? Or, or how do you really do that? So that, that's where, you know, having that one-on-one, um, 
is important, but also mm-hmm. you know, having that person first assess you to, to understand the full scope of what you're dealing with, how you're working with this, because I'm sure part of the, part of what you're doing as a therapist is you're also looking at how they're taking in information, where they're getting stuck, so that you're already internally starting to formulate some ideas and plans of how you're going to approach things, right? That's mm-hmm. why, you know, if people want direct answers for their stuff via Instagram or any social media account, it's like, listen, mm-hmm. I can't do that. I've never worked with you. I don't know you. I don't know your stuff. We can't mm-hmm. really jump into it, but we can have, you know, broad general conversations for, you know, educational outreach purposes anytime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Christina, I appreciate your time so much. It's so funny to say your name. I know. <laughs> That's my name. <laughs> um, but um, where could people find you if they'd like to, you know, uh, connect with you or learn more about you? Where where can they look for you? So I've already plugged it a few times, but Instagram, Christina Councils. I'm also on TikTok, but I'm just using all the same information from Instagram. <laughs> I'm never on TikTok. Um so Instagram, Christina Councils, or my website, my name, ChristinaNabi.com. Um, I am licensed in New Hampshire, Maine, and Florida, and I do telehealth. So if you're in those states and you want to work with me, reach out. Um, in the future, I'm going to be working on some self-guided courses. So um, it's helpful to connect with me um, through my email list, which is also on my website, so that you can be informed of when those are coming out. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for listening to OCD Whisperer podcast. If you have any questions you want me to answer in future podcasts or any other comments, you can go to coreresults.com backslash contact backslash. That's coreresults, K-O-R-R-E-S-U-L-T-S dot com backslash contact.